Let's turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 11 through 13. Philippians 4.11 Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Him or in Him who strengthens me. The Word of the Lord. Let's pray for a second. Father, thank You for the opportunity to open Your Word this morning and hear it read and preached. We pray, Father, for the preacher. We pray for all who listen. Lord, that we would hear from You hide it in our hearts, and walk away ready to practice it in our lives. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I feel like sometimes when I... I was writing this sermon, I'll tell you this, I was writing this sermon on the airplane when we took Evan to Grove City. (laughs) Um, I feel like I need to preach about four sermons like this to get more of it out because I think there's so much that we can learn from this sermon. I hope this one is a start. Maybe I can get a few more out. But we've been looking at stories and backstories. And I pointed out in the second sermon a few weeks back, I said that I read to you Philippians 4, and I said Paul says he's learned to be content. And then I went and read to you passages from 2 Corinthians 4 and 2 Corinthians 6 where Paul is in all these miserable circumstances and he finds himself content. He's learned the secret of being content. He says, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need. He caps it all off and he says, I can do all things. And all things includes being content. I can do contentment, he's saying, in, our, the, the New American Standard says through Christ, but the Greek says in Christ who strengthens me. And those are the three points we're going to look at this morning. If you and I are going to be content, you're going to have to be in Christ. You're going to have to be in union with Christ. If you're going to be content, it starts with union with Christ. The second point is going to be this. In union with Christ, you have a resource. If you're going to be content... You don't have to be in Christ. You have Christ as your resource. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. There's there's your resource. And the third point we want to look at this morning is this. If you're in Christ, you have this resource, then you can enter the school of learning contentment. Those are the three points we're going to look at this morning. So as we look at Philippians chapter 4, we have to realize there was a time when the Apostle Paul was not content. We have to look at the the fact that the Apostle Paul was not in Christ. He had no resource and he was not in the school of contentment. And the Bible tells us about this time when he was not in Christ. He was Saul of Tarsus when we met him last week and the last week before. 
And Saul of Tarsus is in Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 7, and 8 and 9. And we find him content as a Pharisee. We find him content to be, maybe he's the, you know, like it says in John chapter 3, I like Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, you're the teacher of Israel and you don't know what I'm talking about. Well, I think that Saul of Tarsus is the second teacher. He's underneath maybe his teacher, Gamaliel. And then it happened in Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7. He meets Stephen, who is a superior human being, to him in so many ways. The main way is that he was spiritual. And he was became a person who saw discontentment or covetousness in him. We see in the 10th commandment, it says, Thou shalt not covet. And coveting is seeing my neighbor. Seeing my neighbor's house, seeing my neighbor's wife, seeing his manservant, his maidservant, his ox or his donkey, use the New American Standard Version, or his neighbor's things, seeing what his neighbor has and being discontent. That's what it is. He sees something in Stephen and he sees the favor of God on Stephen and he's discontent. The Shorter Catechism talks about being covetous as not having a charitable frame of heart toward my neighbor. When I see what my neighbor has, I should be glad that he has it. But, but coveting is not being happy that he has it. And maybe wanting to have it or maybe somehow taking it away from him. It goes on and it says this. Coveting is marked by grieving over or envying what my neighbor has. And most of the time, these sins don't stay hidden. Most of the time, we don't just crawl up in the bed like Ahab and look at the wall with our face facing the wall, sullen and vexed. Most of the time, this sin of covetousness, it pops out in words and deeds. And so in words, sometimes if I see my neighbor has something that, that I like and I really wish I had it and I'm really upset that he has it, then I might say things that would hurt his reputation. I might use my mouth. This, this sin, it burst out in words. And if you look at Acts chapter 7, you'll see that Saul of Tarsus, his was standing at, you know, before coats as men threw stones to kill this person that had the favor of God. Most of the time, it doesn't stay inside. Now, let me, let me do a little caveat here. It's one thing to see my neighbor have something or has something. It's, it's one thing to see that they have it and covet, covet it. But it's quite another thing to see that they have something and want that something in the right way. It's, you, you can see that a person has something and you can want it in the right way. You can go out and seek to have that something in a lawful, in the proper manner. If I see a Stephen and I want what Stephen has, I can go to Stephen and say, Stephen, would you teach me, teach me to have what you have? Let me see if I can give you an illustration from my own life. Well, for five years I was a minister in a non-denominational church, conservative, and I found myself moving toward reform views, and then all of a sudden I find myself not in ministry anymore. And I'm going to make this very short, but I began to be, and I would say, not, not I will call it holy discontentment. <laughs> I felt that I was called to be a minister, and yet I was not in a church. I tried to get along without being a minister, I would go to church, and my wife finally said, you know, well, you just need to, to, to realize that this is what you want to do. And uh, so I became a personal trainer, worked in the hospital, worked for myself. After three years, I worked for, for myself. And then the minister in our church came up to me and he said, Mark, do you still want to be a minister? And I said, yes, I do. I just don't know how in the world to do it. 
He said, well, let me tell you how we're going to do it. The session's going to give you $1,000 a month not to work five hours a week. Does that help you out? We want you to not train five people a week and give us those five hours, and you study for us five hours a week. I was going, okay, (laughs) okay. And then the next year they gave me 2000 a month to study 10 hours a week. And so we were on the path. In other words, I had the church making, making me part of their goal to get a person who felt called into the ministry. And we made it. But I could have sulked. I could have turned my face to the wall like Ahab, looked at the wall and sulked and had a self-pity party. And I could have said things against ministers who were getting to preach and I wasn't getting to preach. And I'm going to kind of put a notch down on them because I, you know, I'm not getting to do what they're doing. We all have this. We can do it. But there's nothing wrong with seeing where you're at and wanting something better and going about it in the proper way. Make sure you remember that. That's not discontentment to to earn a degree, get a better job, whatever it is you want to do. But that's not what Saul of Tarsus did. Saul of Tarsus, he is seeing the favor of God on this man who's preaching in Acts chapter 7. Powerful, powerful, some people call it a speech. Uh, Pretty good sermon really in my opinion. Stephen's preaching and Saul sees him all with his wisdom and the mercy of God and the love of God. And he doesn't say, how can I have the favor of God like my neighbor? No, what he does is he's smitten with covetousness. And if you go run over to chapter 7 of Romans, he says that that the 10th commandment came alive and I died. And he's got covetousness all written all over him. And so he goes from watching coats to ravaging the followers of Jesus Christ. He went from bad to worse. He's cut to the quick. It's pricking him. And what the law does, the Bible teaches us that the law brings us to the end of ourselves. And we're dead. And then who shows up after the law crushes us to pieces? Jesus shows up. The Savior shows up who can save us from our, from our sin. And Jesus shows up in Acts chapter 9. The backstory is he's under conviction for his covetousness, I believe. And the next thing is Jesus shows up and he is going to bring him out of his sin and place him into himself, into Christ. And I'm going to remind you of the points again. Union with Christ is necessary to be content. Union with Christ means you'll have a resource because Christ becomes your resource. And now with Christ as your resource, you enter the school of learning contentment. So if you would learn contentment, union with Christ is necessary. We find Him coveting. We find Him in sin and He needs to be in Christ. And we saw last week that He's on the road. He's breathing threats and murder against Jesus' followers. And Jesus shows up on the road and He says, Who are you, Lord or Sir? And Jesus identifies Himself. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. And so he understands that he has put to death the Deliverer. He understands he has put to death the Savior of all his people. He got it wrong with all those around him. And he has suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. But now the resurrected Christ who he believes died on a cross and got exactly what he deserves is standing in front of him. What is he supposed to do with this? He's confronted with his sin, and he's now being condemned. Remember, we said he's walking around with his eyes wide open, and he can't see a thing. He's blind. And that's a picture in the Old Testament of someone who's under judgment. Think about this. For you and for me to be judged before the day of judgment. There's a day of judgment out here. 
Saul of Tarsus is being judged by Jesus Christ before the day of judgment. That is mercy. He feels pretty bad. He's seeing his sin. He's seeing he needs a Savior. He is being judged before the time. And if you and I find ourselves judged before the time, that means there's time to make course corrections. That means there's time to be found in Christ because of repentance and sin. And so here we are. Paul is being judged before the day of judgment. Little old Ananias comes along and what does he say? Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And so now we have a man who was in Adam, in sin. He's now in Christ. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Union with Christ. The Apostle Paul, if you want to... How many times is the word Christian found in the Bible? I can't remember. I think it's less than three. But you know, if you want to go find in Christ, go read the Bible in the New Testament and tell me how many times it says in Christ. And tell me how many times it is is implied in Him. The Apostle Paul is the Apostle of in Christ. (laughs) You need to be in Christ and in Christ you can have what only He can give you as far as this contentment goes. To be in Christ it means to be like Noah in the ark. Now, think about Noah. Noah goes out, he has 120 years to build an ark. 120 years, he hires men, they tool wood, they cut wood, they do all kinds of stuff like Phil does with chairs and all this stuff and fixing stuff all the time, right? And so we have all this, fixing all this stuff and there's uh, this gigantic arc, three football fields long. It's so high, got an 18-inch window at the top where air can come in. That it, After 120 years, what happens? God says, get in the ark. They close the door. God closes the door. If you're in the ark, you're safe from all the water that's bubbling up out of the ground. If you're in the ark, you're safe from all the water that's falling out of the sky. Everybody outside the ark is dying, dead. Everybody inside the ark is saved. If you're in Christ... Jesus absorbs all the wrath of God for you. If you're in Christ, you're saved. In Christ. In Christ. It it happens before the day of judgment comes. In Christ. On that day, you'll be openly acknowledged and acquitted. To be in Christ means to be in the Lamb. Let's go to the, the days of the Exodus. Moses tells the people to take the Passover lamb and smear the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorposts and the lentils of their home. And the destroying angel comes that night and wherever the blood has been smeared on the doorposts and the lentils, that destroying angel does not enter that house. But the destroying angel enters every house where there's no blood and there's, there's no blood on the doors and the lentils. Now, I don't know about you, but we have this little deal that goes on in our home when people are sick. Um, my kids will tell you, the first thing, that if, if you get sick and you can watch anything, you usually watch, this is, the, this is our routine. He watched the Ten Commandments. <laughs> because it's about three hours and 20 minutes long. And there's this portrait of this green mist going through town. And it goes to the houses where there's no blood. And people begin to cry because destruction takes the firstborn. All the people in the blood, all the people under the blood, those are the ones that are saved. In Christ, you are saved from destruction. And the Apostle Paul, once he was Saul of Tarsus, once he was in sin, and Jesus didn't preach the gospel to him, little old Ananias did. And then we find him in Christ. 
Are you in Christ? Before we move to the second point, are you in Christ? There's nothing more important than being in the ark. There's nothing more important than being in the lamb. There's nothing more important than being in the vine. Are you in the vine? Are you in Jesus Christ? If you're going to learn contentment, you have to be in union with Christ. Second, union with Christ means you have a resource. Listen to the verse. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Who strengthens me. This is, listen, you and I, there's two things that happens when we become Christians. By faith, we have Christ's righteousness imputed to us. And in Christ, we have Christ's strength and power imparted to us. Remember the two eyes. Imputed righteousness, imputed grace. Imputed strength, imputed uh, strength and power infused to you. Remember that. You and I, we need a resource. We were talking about this in the men's Bible study. And we said, we referred to Philippians 2, 12 and 13. He is at work in you, both to will and to work to his own good pleasure. Do you know that? Do you know that? See, these are things we must remind ourselves of. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, we have the Apostle Paul, well, really in the whole letter. But the Apostle Paul writes 2 uh, Timothy to Timothy, who's the preacher in Ephesus. And it's a really difficult letter. You can tell that the Apostle Paul, at, at the end of the letter, he's, he's close to dying. Nero is close, is close, real close. And everybody's abandoned the Apostle Paul. And there's no doubt that Timothy, who's probably 30 or 30 in his thir- mid, early 30s, is afraid. He's shrinking back. There's a lot of fear for this young man to go and preach the gospel. And the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.7, he says, Timothy, you have not been given a spirit of fear. You've not been given a spirit of timidity or shrinking back, but you've been given a spirit of, of power. And you can go and you can do what you're called to do because you have a spirit of power in you. Well, that's not just for the preacher, folks. Timothy was a, a, an ordinary person who was called to be a minister. He, did, he wasn't Jesus walking around on the earth. He was a normal person. And he says this later to him, which is just, this is the most encouraging. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace... That is in Christ Jesus. What's in Christ Jesus? The grace that is in Christ Jesus. The power, the grace, the the strength that's infused in you. Being in Christ Jesus. Timothy, you have a resource. And you, dear beloved, have a resource. His name is Jesus Christ. And in Him, He infuses you with strength and grace to do what you're called to do. And here, He wants you to learn to be content. I love it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ, infuses grace and strength into me. I can. I can do all things. You can. And so now we can enter into the school of contentment. With Christ as your resource, now you enter the school of contentment. Now, you know, one of the things I read recently, somebody said this, he said, whether you go to school or not, you know, if you're a Christian, you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to get an education. If you're a real Christian, you're going to find yourself educated. I, it reminds me of a time I read a, a man who never had been able to read before. And before he died, he learned how to sight read. He didn't say G-O-D is God. He just knew that G-O-D was like a sign that meant God. He learned how to read the book of John. 
he educated himself at least to sight read. And if you and I are Christians, we're going to enter this school. And number one, here's one of the reasons. We're going to learn contentment because it's commanded of us to learn it. The Tenth Commandment, we're going to be reading that in our, in our uh, Confession of Sin part in our worship, the law of God. The Tenth Commandment is what? Thou shalt not covet. Well, that's so negative, preacher. That's so negative. Well, let's just turn it around and make it positive. The Children's Catechism says, what does the Tenth Commandment teach us? Does anybody know the answer? The Tenth Commandment teaches us to be content with our lot. There's the positive. The negative is thou shalt not covet. The positive is Hebrews 13, 5. Be content with what you have. It's a command. It's not optional. It's compulsory. Now, do you know the difference between optional test questions and compulsory test questions? <laughs> I think we all do, don't we? So you have 10 questions and you have 13 optional ones. I mean, 10 optional, uh, or sorry, three optional ones and 10 compulsory. Now, those three optional questions, they can be answered and they won't hurt you at all. You can miss them. They won't hurt you at all. They can only add points to your score. But if it's compulsory, you have to answer it. And if you don't answer it, you lose all 10 points if there's 10 questions. Right, am I right? I'm remembering how to do math here as you take tests. But if you have one question that's compulsory and you leave it out, you lose 10 points. But if you just attempt it, usually the teacher gives you some points. This is a command. It's not optional. You and I, we are, are to do this. We are to attempt the 10th commandment. It's not something, it's a command, it's not something that's optional, it's not something that you can talk yourself out of. Have you ever tried to talk yourself out of a ten, one of the commandments? I have. <laughs> Lord, this is just too hard. I can't do this one. I'll do all the rest of them, but I can't do this one. Well, I've, I have assessed the situation. I've evaluated myself. I've looked at myself. I've seen all the superior Stevens. I've seen all the wonderful Naboth's vineyards. I've seen all the great Davids out there. I've seen favor on all these people. I'm not going to say a word against anybody. I'm not going to go out and harm anybody. I'm just going to sit in my bed and look at the wall on this one. I can't do it. I'm going to talk myself out of it. I'm defeated here and I give up. But it's not for you to do that. It's not optional. It's not something you can talk yourself out of. And so you have to attempt this. And here's the reason why. It brings glory to God for you to attempt the commandment, to obey the commandment. It brings glory. Let's say that again. It brings glory to God for you to make the attempt. The Apostle Paul didn't say, um, uh, I read a whole bunch of books and I became content. He didn't say, I went and watched YouTube sermons till I was drunk and then I became content. He said, I learned to be content in all these different circumstances. Oh man, I'm still working on some of them. You? I learned to be content. And I learned to do this because I understand it brings glory to God. No one ever accomplished anything in this life that was truly great that they did not Learn it. You realize that? If you want to be good at anything. I, I tell y'all, I've had this conversation so many times. I wish, I, I don't do this very much, but I see the guys doing it at, at uh, Presbytery. And I'm sure you guys who work with computers know it better than me. You get those little sticks 
for your computer and you shove it in and it puts all this information there. You know, you can access and use that information off of there. Don't you wish that we could just take one of those sticks and shove it into our brain and we'd be content? I'd love that. That's not how it works. You have to learn it. And folks, there's no telling what you can do when you attempt it by the grace of God. There's no telling what kind of contentment you can accomplish by the grace of God. Alex Honnold, I don't know if many of you know who this is, but he's a free climber. Have you ever seen the movie Free? What's it called? Free Solo? Have you ever seen that movie? So this guy, Alex Honnold, he, he climbed, free climbed El Capitan at Yosemite National Park. That means he's like a spider holding on to a rock with fingers and toes and body like a spider up against a rock, free climbing, no safety net, nothing. He did something the New York Times says is the single greatest of athletic accomplishment ever, ever. You know what you know what he says about himself? He says, When I was doing when I first learned how to do this stuff, he said, I wasn't as good as all my friends. There were a lot of guys who were so much better at this than me. And so what he decided to do in the midst of all these guys who had all this maybe more muscularity and a better body shape and all the things you and I, we could think about. He just determined that he would devote himself to having the finger strength, to having the core strength, to having the arms and all the things that are necessary to do this stuff. And now this not so gifted man has done something that no one else has ever done. He did it because he wanted to. He didn't do it because he had to. And you and I, were under a commandment to bring glory to God, not to talk ourselves out of it, not to say it's optional. And before I get to the, part, the last point here about this, don't ever think that as we seek to obey God's commandments that we're not going to have times where we get down. I guarantee you're going to get down sometimes. I can guarantee you that you will be discouraged at times and feel like quitting and think this stuff is impossible. But go back. Union with Christ. In Christ. I'm acceptable. I have this, this resource inside of me infusing me with strength. Rely on this resource and move forward. Put on your game face and go out and do it. Did you hear that? That's not me talking. That's just me putting it in common everyday language. But that's what he says. Get up and go do it. Get up. Don't make excuses. Get up and go do it. Here's what I want to tell you today. Training the soul. Training the soul. You know why people are so immature today? It's because they don't train their soul. I train people's physical bodies. Now, a lot of, a lot of soul stuff goes along with training people's in their physical body, especially when it gets to a point where they're wanting to quit because it's so hard. I used to work some people out and I did these programs. One of them was called Tremendous Pleasure and one of them was called Big Fun and neither one of them were fun or tremendous ple- or pleasurable. But that's physical. This is the soul. Stop and train the soul when it comes to commitment. It's a soul work. In Psalm 131, David says that he had to learn to be content on the Lord's bosom the same way a baby has to be content on his mother's bosom. It's a process. 
And so here's this baby for a year who's been taking all her nourishment, all his nourishment from mama's bosom and taking it and taking it and taking it. And all of a sudden she says, it's time to wean the baby. And so she starts introducing the baby to a bottle. She introduces the baby to a spoon with some stuff all crushed up in it, right? What's, what do we do? Pablum? And that baby fights, that baby's battling, that baby's screaming, and it's just, oh, it's loud, and it's big discontentment. And then the baby realizes that food's coming. That little baby realizes it's going to be taken care of, going to get nourishment, just coming in a different form, different fashion. And then the baby lays against mama's bosom, and it's totally content. This is what it looks like. It's a process. I want you to think about yourself like a great ship on the sea. Here you are, you're a great ship on the sea. And you're being tossed to and fro by all the waves in front of you. The water is coming down on top of the, the, the deck of the ship. You're going side to side. You almost feel like you're going to turn over. You're totally fine because no water's going into your ship. What you have to be aware of, as you're, the, you being this great ship on the sea, you have to be aware of are the leaks at the lower levels. That's why the Titanic went down. They had a crease at the lower level. And water starts coming in the lower level. You and I as Christians must be those who can know where the leak is and take care of the leaks. Discontentment is like a leak on a ship. And so here we go. You have a commandment. Be content. It's not optional. It's compulsory. It's not something you can talk yourself out of. You must attempt it to the glory of God. Here's the first step. You must recognize yourself failing. <laughs> Have you ever done that? You've failed. You are a ship and you must see the leak. The leak is discontentment. So let me give you a few illustrations just so you know where I'm coming from. Okay, so I'm a kid. I'm a college kid. I'm on campus and I have a teacher. And this teacher assigns for me 100 definitions and 13 essay questions for a four-week exam. And so, and so I'm looking at this and I'm going, you know what, I, I just went spinning like a top. Angry. Who gives people this many questions? Who gives people this many things to fill out for a four-week test? And so I'm spinning out of control for like three or four hours. Until finally I go back to my room and I sit in my room and I'm going, there they are. They're still there. There's nothing done. I didn't do anything but lose three or four hours. I have failed. Okay? I recognize my failure. What do I do next? Well, I acknowledge that I sinned. I confess that my, I have sinned against the Lord and I have to receive His forgiveness. These are the steps. I receive His forgiveness and I get up. I have a resource named Jesus, and I have a fresh start. Now, this is, this is training my soul. And this is the scenario that has to take place in our hearts all the time, all the time. And we can laugh, you know, sometimes we can laugh, but that is what we have to learn to do in our soul. For the adults, maybe I'm picking on, maybe you're going to... Uh, fire on all cylinders with this one. So I'm going to go on a vacation. You know, when I, when I go on a vacation, I set myself up really good. I'm, I'm getting way better at dis, a contentment on vacations. But when I go on a vacation, I'm usually exhausted. And so I head out the door with the family. I get in the car. I'm driving. And we were going to Lake Tahoe. And we're, I mean, it's snowing. It's in May. 
snowing. We get to the house where we're going to go. There's 10 feet of snow on either side of the door. We walk in the door. It's 38 degrees inside the part of the room, the house we're in. I'm going, we got to turn that heat on. Turn the heat on. It doesn't come on. We call the people. Call the people. Now, remember, I'm expecting when I go on my vacation that it's kind of like a little bit of heaven. Nothing goes wrong on my vacation. I want it perfect. But I've already set myself up. I'm tired, and I'm expecting heaven, and I'm not going to get heaven. I walk in, it's 38 degrees. I call them, and I say, how do I turn the heat on? I say, go over to the button, do this, do that. It doesn't come on. Call them back, and they say, oh, don't worry, don't worry. We'll be out there tomorrow. We'll fix the uh, heater tomorrow. And what we want you to do is go to the uh, closets. And in the closet, you're going to find really, really nice heaters. Just pull them out of the boxes and turn them on. Okay, okay, fine. So I go over and I pull the heaters out. And I should have realized they were in boxes. They were new. They had to be put together. I didn't come on a vacation to put them together. Right? I didn't do it. I didn't come to put... Heaters together, and I'm losing my mind, and my kids are watching me spin off like a top. I recognize my failure. Right? There's recognition. I failed. I was leaky. I had to acknowledge it. I confessed my sin. This time I'm confessing my sin to my family, confessing my sin to God. I'm receiving His forgiveness, their forgiveness, and then we get a fresh start. And see, here's the thing. There's still a whole lot of vacation left. And I can end the vacation better than I started it. <laughs> There's still all those questions, those hundred definitions that had to be answered, and 13 essay questions that had to be answered, and I can get going on them again. So it's, it's a training. It's a training sequence. Recognize the leak. Acknowledge the leak. Confess the leak. Receive God's forgiveness and get a fresh start. Well, let me tell you three things I've learned from training the soul. There's no silver bullet. Number one, there's, there's no silver bullet. What do I mean by that? There's no pill. There's no verse. There's no set of verses that you can meditate on, memorize, that will give you total contentment. You're going to have to learn it. You're going to have to learn it. Second, there's a feeling at times as we are learning contentment that Christ is not really helping me. You ever felt that way? <laughs> Where are you? <laughs> You're, are you really helping me? I thought you said you were my resource. I mean, we go through this scenario. We recognize our leaks. We acknowledge our leaks. We confess our leaks. We receive forgiveness and we do it. And then we have to do it again. And then we have to do it again. And then we have to do it again. How's this helping me, Lord? Are you really here? And we tend to see all this as really negative. But it's very positive. And let me show you how. This habit has to be drilled over and over and over and over. It's kind of like this. J.I. Packer, when he's talking about in uh, Knowing God, he talks about how we learn things. And he says, you know what you do when you wake up in the morning? Do, you, do you, any of you ever wake up in the morning and go, where am I? No. Do you, any of you, when you wake up in the morning, do you ever go, well, uh, do I get up on the left side or the right side? Do any of you wonder when you wake up in the morning what that beeping is? No, you know exactly what the beeping is. You know where you are. You know you're in a bed. You know you're going to get up. You don't even think left or right side. You just get up on the side you're going to get up on. 
Usually I get up on the left side because my wife's on the right side. I always get up on the left side for the past 32 years on the left side. And I don't wonder whether I put my left shoe on, my left house shoe on first or not. I just put on whichever one I grab hold of first. I'm skilled at this. I'm an expert at getting up in the morning. I'm an expert at going and getting coffee out and sticking it in the coffee maker and percolating and all that. I'm, I'm an expert at this stuff. You like, we laugh, right? We laugh. But I'm an expert at this. And this is what we do. We become experts at being able to see whether I'm in contentment or I'm not. We become experts at this. And this is what God calls real maturity. The more we do this, the more acutely aware that we are either content or not. What's a rat catcher really, really good at? Catching rats. And, you know, this came from Lewis, C.S. Lewis. What's a plumber really good at? Fixing leaks. What was Sherlock Holmes really good at? He's really good at knowing Moriarty. What was General Patton really good at? He was really good at knowing Rommel in the desert. And what's a Christian really good at? A Christian is really good at knowing when there's a leak and when there's not. That's what we're good at. When it's present, what do you do? You praise the Lord. Let me tell you what you do. I'm watching my time, okay? Well, let me tell you what I'll do. I'm in the gym. I train a guy who's 18 years old. And uh, I train this guy's name was Lewis. When he's 18. When Lewis was 30, he owned the gym. When Lewis was 30, I was working in Lewis's gym under Lewis. I trained Lewis. I trained Lewis in so many ways. Now Lewis owns the gym. And when Lewis was in the gym making $150 to $200 an hour, and I was making $45 an hour, I could had every opportunity to be so angry that he had five trucks, two homes, and owned the gym. I kept saying to myself, you know, I'm so glad Lewis owns this gym. I'm so glad Lewis owns two homes from five car, big old giant monster trucks. I'm real glad he has all of that because it means I have a place to work. I talked to myself all I didn't have a leak. I would say to you, I was really good on this one. Now, there's other places I'm learning not to leak. But I was learning. You see contentment. You talk yourself through it. I'm glad. I'm glad that this client owns this gym. I'm glad I can work for him. And we also see our leaks. We see our discontentment. And we don't despair when we see it. We go through that mechanism. We go through recognition. We go through the the confession of our sin. We take God at His Word that He forgives us, as we heard today. And then we get a fresh start. Well, finally, the third thing we learn is your dependence on the Lord is increasing. Every time you go through this scenario, what are you you thinking? What are you thinking through? Don't trust in yourself, Mark. Don't trust in yourself, Randy. Don't trust in yourself, Bob. Don't trust in yourself. Trust in Jesus. Put, he is the one. I'm focusing on my Savior. I'm focusing. I'm, I'm so weak. I need somebody to help me. Give me the grace. Give me the, infuse me with the strength. And I trust in the Lord more and more. And I trust in myself less and less. Folks, that's the secret of being content. You learn it. And you have a resource to do it. So that we can go through this school. And we can pass to the glory of God. Let's pray.
Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for uh, teaching us what it means as we've studied about Paul, uh, Saul first. We, we saw a man who said he's learned contentment, but one day he wasn't content. One day he wasn't in Jesus Christ. One day he was content apart from Jesus Christ, and that is a bad place to be. We thank you for showing us how he came to know Jesus Christ through the preaching of the word. And we thank you for teaching us that we can be content as we, have, as we find ourselves in Christ. He's our resource as we go to school together as your people. Help us to be trained in our souls. Help us to be trained as people who love each other. Train us together. Help us to encourage each other and sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. To be more like our Lord Jesus Christ, more dependent on Him in all that we think as well as all that we do. We'll give you all the glory and all the praise. Help us now as we finish our service. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.